So Spotify kind of said they're now allowing certain creators to do kind of voice translation in their own voice, obviously in a different language. And welcome everyone to SlaterPod. Hi, Esther. Hey, Florian. Back from Portland. Yes, that's right. I had a quick, quick trip to Portland and back for the ALC. For the ALC conference. Tell us more in a second. But first, our very own conference, SlaterCon uh, Zurich, sold out. It's been sold out for three weeks. Should have gotten a bigger venue, but, you know, it's, uh, it's 150 plus people. So great turnout. Thanks so much to sponsors. You know, we have We Localize, RWS, LanguageWire, Tarjama, Supertext, CaptionHub, DeepL, Phrase, XL8, and Language Inspired that all uh, help making this a success. So thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, we're going to get uh, into gear next Tuesday with the initial kind of pre-networking, sorry, pre-conference networking session. Then on Wednesday, we are going to be all day at the conference. And on Thursday, uh, we have a team meeting, a Slater team meeting. You know, in this remote world, it's great to catch up with everyone. Now, we're going to be presenting at and participating in a bunch of conferences in this super busy fall. So Andrew is going to go to Lockworld. Uh, Seema is going to be at ATA. Anna is going to be participating at the Translating Europe Forum in Brussels. And Maria is going to the Conference for Professional Translators Interpreters in Athens. And I think this is sometime in like late, late October. Yeah. Uh, before we jump to the agenda, so I think our next episode, Esther, is going to be uh, voice translated using AI by Spotify. Oh, great. I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> I don't know what, um, you know, we, we, we just published this like a couple hours ago. So Spotify um, kind of said they're now allowing certain creators to do kind of voice translation in their own voice, obviously in a different language, which for something as niche as our podcast, I mean... Which language should we go into? <laughs> well, for me, it will obviously be German, and I'd love to hear myself in an AI voice in German based on my English voice. I mean, that would be kind of weird, number one. Weird thing number two is, I mean, I don't think any system would get all the content we uh, produce just from a kind of jargon terminology point of view. I, I, I just wouldn't. There would have to be some review, I guess, for this. And so good luck with that, uh, Spotify. I mean, I just don't see this taking off anytime soon. But I mean, like off in the sense that like if you're a big creator and you spend a lot of time on your show, then you just click a button and boom, it's in some other language. And you don't you don't review and trust and just go live with that and have like millions of people uh, like listen to your content without some kind of review. I mean, it's you know, it's a lot of politics. It's kind of specialized content. It's banter that probably doesn't translate well. Uh, yeah, it seems like a challenging proposition from Spotify. So got to start somewhere though, right? <laughs> got to start somewhere. Maybe they need like an expert in the loop interface and then, uh, you know, more, more demand for linguists. Spotify does TMS. Well, they will have to. I mean, seriously, how, how else are you going to do this? I mean, do you think somebody like Joe Rogan with like literally more views than like all the major networks combined is just going to like click a button and have his like conversations like translated by a machine into like a bunch of other languages? No, definitely not. He wouldn't, you know, neither would many people further down the um, listen ranking. So today you're going to tell us a bit more about ALC and Portland and uh 
talking about Spanish multilingualism, trying to get three more languages on the U European Union's list of official languages. Straker did a interesting move this week, uh, half a billion RFP, half a billion you know, pound dollar RFP in the UK, writer.com raised some money and then just briefly ending on Google's AI search content. Like how does Google's index AI generated content, obviously relevant for machine translation, but also kind of multilingual content generation. But before that, your views from the LC, big picture, mood check, top three insights from the big report we published. Um, yeah, off you go. Well, so we were invited to the ALC annual summit. It was the 21st annual summit held in Portland this year. Um, so that's the Association of Language Companies. Um, and we were there because uh, we produced a giant survey report for them, um, no less than 130 pages, like you said. Um, so this was an annual survey that they conduct um, of members uh, looking at, you know, all aspects of translation companies, interpreting companies, um, things that are relevant to business, uh, industry and beyond. Um, so, yeah, really excitingly, I was there to effectively launch uh, the survey report, um, which is now available to purchase and download um, via the ALC website. But um yeah, my presentation obviously did not cover all 130 pages, just picked out um, some of the key findings um, in a sort of 30 minute presentation. Um, so yeah, thanks to ALC for hosting and a warm reception. Um, it was great to, to meet lots of people, including um, several fans of the podcast. Um, so yeah, go to the other side of the world. But um, yeah, it was nice to to hear that some Many people are regular listeners um, among that that group of people. So yeah, great to to have been there. Um, so of course, yeah, it was tough to summarize, like we said, 130 pages of a monster report um, based on all of this survey data that I know Anna and the research team spent uh, several months um, compiling uh, and going through in some detail. Um, but yeah, just a few key facts figures that I'll pull out um, for interested people. Um, on a revenue basis, so lots of companies, the majority of companies, this is obviously the ones who took the survey, um, about 60% of companies grew um, in 2022. And this is all based on 2022 numbers and data. Um, there were a bit under 20% that had stable revenues last year in 2022 and um, growth was a big theme. So many, at least three quarters said that they're focused on growth in terms of being in a growth mode as a business. Um, then on a profit or profitability kind of level, there was some contraction that was noted on, on EBITDA levels among companies that um, participated and answered that question. There were certain operational cost increases, a little bit of price pressure from clients, um, and, and that um, sort of thing was being observed in 2022. Um, and then in terms of uh, hiring, we had sales roles and project managers that were most in demand for those companies. There was some talent shortage that was being noted um, for those particular roles. Um, and then finally, on the technology side, um, we asked lots of lots of questions about technology and what the tech setup was for for these kinds of companies, um, both you know translation, interpreting, 
um, as well. But on the translation companies, we asked about large language models, obviously very topical. Um, and according to the survey, maybe unsurprisingly, only 3% have actually gone ahead and already integrated large language models into their workflows. Um, but more than 50% are finding out about so investigating different use cases. And then another 30% are actually actively testing how to use large language models in production. So those are just a few highlights from the presentation and from the reports. How is the mood generally? Like, because there's this, you know, I don't know, we got the tech side, we got the you know, high interest rates. I mean, everybody's kind of been waiting for this recession to happen for the past 12 months, but it hasn't really materialized. On LinkedIn, we're seeing some kind of layoff announcements, et cetera. But like, how was the mood? Upbeat, anxious? Yeah, I mean, when you asked that, the word that came to mind was upbeat. Um, I'd say, yeah, on the whole, generally upbeat. Um, it was a good mix, you know? There was a lot of small LSPs there, some of the larger LSPs there. There were companies from outside of the US visiting from Argentina, from Australia, from different places. Um, but yeah, I, I think generally sort of optimistic, positive. Um, yeah. Um, and good. I think people just excited to be there, um, kind of networking, um, learning more about, you know, some tips and uh, uh, what for what they should be doing with business um, going forward. I think in like a year from now, probably like 100%, not 100, but maybe 80% of the companies will have implemented LLMs in some shape because like all the TMSs are implementing LLM-based functionality. So if you use any of these major TMSs, you're probably going to be a user of an LLM in some shape or form. I mean, I think the the other thing I'd say about that that group, the ALC as well, is that they, they're very... They, they seem to be very active, you know, so they've got lots of different projects that they're working on in terms of advocacy, in terms of standards, driving um, different initiatives um, in the US. So, you know, there's lots to keep them focused um, and, yeah, positive for, for the future. But they're very active in this kind of worker classification issue. That's what I remember as well, right? Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move from Portland to Spain, where now uh, three more languages, regional languages, local languages, are official languages in Spanish, uh, in the Spanish Congress. Um, and that's from beginning of September, like started in September 19th. The Spanish Congress will allow the use of Basque, Catalan, and Galician, along with, you know, Spanish, of course, in, in, in its official sessions and documentation so gone are the days where everybody will speak in you know castilian spanish in congress and maybe you know some people from uh the basque country from barcelona will you know and uh galician where, where do you speak galician like in vigo maybe like uh kind of north of portugal like on um kind of north what would that be northwest right that's where they speak galician um so they will allow to speak that in Congress, which, you know, we as uh, Swiss have a bit of experience in, uh, basically have lively debates in, you know, three, four languages here as well. I mean, obviously for demand for language services, that can only be a good thing. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of documents they will have to translate. In minutes and all sorts of things. All sorts of things. And also probably some interpreting. Um, I'm not sure how I should know, but I think, I mean, Bosque is definitely not, intelligible for anybody 
you mean how understood each of those languages are among the other groups? Maybe Catalan and Galician. I think Galician is probably the closest to Spanish. I'm kind of going on a limb here, but I think if you're, you know, if you're somewhat talented, you might understand bits and pieces and Catalan as well. But I mean, Basque is like, you know, people still kind of wonder where Basque is from in the first place. So I don't I think there's a lot of passive knowledge in Basque. Uh, now, that, so that's, a, that's good news for these three languages. Now, there's bad news because Spain also tried to push for these three languages to be made official or co-official European Union languages. Um, but, you know, there's a fair bit of other, a fair, a fair number of other languages already in the European Union, as we know. So the, what they've done is they didn't say no on the European Union level, but uh, they kind of put it, put a pin in it, put it aside for now. And they said they had a constructive exchange and decided to continue working on the request by Spain to amend regulation number one, regulation number one probably refers to, to you know the the languages of the European Union. So for now no movement on the European Union level, you know, which would be that would be a big deal in terms of demand. Adding three new official languages to European Union, you know, it, that that would trigger you know a few millions of additional business. I wonder who would actually translate this. I mean, they'd have to hire a few translators, a few language managers at least internally plus all of the outsourcing. Remember there was this issue with Irish? Yeah. Where they, they were struggling to actually fill the translator roles. Cool. Let's hop to Australia slash New Zealand. Uh, totally different stories. Straker translations. We talk about them a lot because they're listed. Now, um, being listed means there's kind of a live ticker on your stock on your company's um, valuation. And apparently the board of directors, uh, our headline was they had enough. <laughs> enough in that the stock had dropped so much that the market cap of the company was at about 20 million plus US dollars. So barely half of revenue, which is really cheap, right? Um, and so basically they felt that the stock was undervalued. The company was undervalued. In their words, they said the board considers that Straker's current share price does not accurately reflect the underlying value of the company. And so what did they do? Uh, they spend a million dollars, $1.1 million to buy back their own shares. Uh, you, you know, you do that for all kinds of reasons. In this case, they felt, well, it's, um, they wanted to support, uh, the share price and, uh, and, and, you know, support some of their shareholders as well. They have 7.4 million in cash reserves, so they can, they can afford it. Obviously not something, um, that, you know, necessarily want to do. I mean, uh, a lot of companies, of course, generally are doing share buybacks. It's a, it's a normal thing. It's also if you basically um, some of the bigger companies like some of the pharma companies or uh, other companies, they, they would do sh share buybacks because they wouldn't know what else to do with the capital. They don't have any you know, grand investment idea. So they just want to return cash or capital to their shareholders, value to the shareholders. Uh, in Straker's case, I think the main driver was that the stock had dropped so much. Now, it did pop a little bit, the, the stock that is from like 43 cents to now it's like 51, 52, but that, it wasn't the big. Um, yeah, it's kind of 10%, right? Roughly about 10, 15%. But again, small stock. So yeah, let's see. I mean, they're not super profitable or not like Billy kind of break even too profitable. So maybe that's what the market got a little impatient after a few years now. Uh, but yeah, so initial share buyback and let's let's see how, how it goes. Keep watching. Keep watching. Now in the UK, a uh, lot of money being put aside for language services. Yes. Uh, we've got another giant tender being issued in the UK. So this one is 
theoretically, I say, worth uh, 400 million pounds over a four year period. Uh, now, typically, and is the case here, the language services is kind of managed um, through a framework contract. Um, this means normally that the total values are estimated rather than guaranteed. Um, it's almost, I think, seen as a bit of a ceiling of on spend. Uh, but point being, yes, giant tender, um, potentially worth you know half a billion dollars over four years, lots of money, um, kind of flowing through to interpreting in particular um, just a small amount there reserved for translation. Um, it's a national health service based tender, although it can be used by the wider public authority. So technically you've got 40 health authorities, which are typically local trusts that manage local um, or sort of regional based uh, areas uh, and, and uh, medical delivery, healthcare delivery. Um, so yeah, this is intending for interpreting to be used and ordered in you know, community settings, in hospitals, GP practices, right through to A&E and home visits um, and the wider public sector, like I said, um, which I'd not sort of seen this um, previously. What's A&E? A&E, accident and emergency. Yeah, okay. Accident and emergency, A&E. Got it. But yes, it's in theory accessible also to schools and charities, the police, fire services, the RAF. Um, so really a broad range of um, you know, public sector at large. Um, so it seems like a very complex affair. Um, like I said, it's mostly interpreting focused. Um, you had something like 80 million pounds set aside for face-to-face on-site interpreting. Another 64 million, again, this is over four years, don't forget, set aside for remote interpreting. Another 40 million uh, allocated to sign language interpreting. Um, 16 million, I said, for translation, transcription, and what they call ancillary services. Um, so that would equate to around four million pounds a year. Um, and then actually half of the lot Sorry, half of the total value of the tender um, is allocated to what they call managed services. Um, so two lots that are worth up to 200 million pounds. Do you know if that goes beyond language services, managed services? It might. I'd see, I'm not entirely sure how that works. I think it might include some component of quality checking, quality aspects. But there was some line in the tender that was sort of saying it, it will be used to call off or call off services from other lots. Esther, you have not read the entire 100-page RFP? Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, I was too busy reading the entire 130-page uh, ALC survey. <laughs> hey, you were on a 13-hour flight or 12-hour flight. Nine, yeah, nine hours. Oh, it's only nine hours? I think it was nine and a half, yeah, from London to Portland, direct. What, by the North Pole or something? I think, yeah, flew via Iceland. Okay, nine hours. I get it. Okay, so 130 pages to report, not enough time for the RFP. These things are just so heavy when you look at these, like... It doesn't always specify. I mean, obviously, some of the language is standard for tenders, but not necessarily easily understood by, you know, the rest of us. Um, but I think, yeah, the intention is that could be used to, as a bucket, to provide other services or the same services, but through different channels, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs>
you know, if it doesn't, maybe somebody can, I mean, some, some LSPs may want to use MemoQ RFP. You know, we had Mark on the podcast last, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, you know, MemoQ RFP launching to, you know, help with exactly these types of super complex RFPs. So yeah, those are, those are big ones and there's only a handful of companies that, that are even going to bid for this. So uh, good luck to those bidding. Good luck to those tendering it out. Uh, totally different planet is writer.com that raised $100 million, $100 million in a Series B. It's a lot of money. Um, Rider.com founded, co-founded by May Habib. If the name sounds familiar, May was actually at our very first uh, US SlaterCon back in 2017. There she presented when the company was still called Cordoba. Since then, they acquired the Writer.com domain. Pretty cool. Can't, you know, must have been expensive. Obviously, doubled down on all things AI. You know, you had Jasper and all these uh, companies going, um, going out, raising lots and lots of money. Um, you know, and now they raised hundred million dollars for an LLM-based uh, writing assistance writing um, tool that's being used. Kind of, I think their original angle was mostly like big marketing teams, global marketing teams, and probably expanding into other areas now. So they managed to really take that kind of wind that's coming in that that tailwind from from AI to to double down and raise uh raise a huge series B. Uh good for them. I mean this is an emerging category. You know, when, when you have Deep L right that launch, that's more of a feature of Deep L. But uh if you have the scale, you have the enterprise connection, you have the technology, like yeah, this this is this is a, a very interesting category. And of course the multilingual aspect features in this, you know, you type something, a prompt, and then boom, you have 10 different language versions, something we discussed in previous episodes. Now, all that AI-generated content will make it to the interwebs, and then Google uh, may or may not index it. So there was a bit of um, um, kind of news in that area. To tell us more about that. Well, yeah, I think that was a good summary of um, our coverage, which um, was talking about Google quietly changing how it ranks AI-generated content, which obviously in, in our case includes, uh, and where we're particularly interested, is including machine translation. Um, there's some kind of contradicting guidelines out there um, from Google um, talking about uh, the origin and the quality of content and how it gets ranked in the search engine. Um, so they're not Google's not necessarily penalizing creators for using AI um, or raw machine translation. Um, that's that's sort of uh, at least uh, how things are understood. However, um, there is some language around what it means as it as it relates to spam. Um, so, for example, some of the guidelines are talking about um, AI generated content. Um, for example, saying appropriate use of AI or automation is not against our guidelines. Um, this means it's not used to generate content primarily to um, manipulate search rankings, which is against our spam policies. And then there was that tweet, right? That was that or X. Has anybody, sorry, just go off on a tangent. Has anybody ever figured out like, what is, what is it now? Then there was the X. Yeah, you can't say I tweet. I tweeted on X. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there needs to be a new verb or something. But I think that will be very slow to to change. So there was the tweet, and the tweet basically pointed out that they changed the wording on their kind of helpful content is no longer what was it written by people for people? Yeah. Yeah, it's a statement talking about what they 
kind of envisage as helpful content. So helpful content used to be uh, classed as being written by people for people, like you said, but that wording has since changed to helpful content created for people. So there's no longer the by people um, stipulation, <laughs> which is obviously interesting in the context of AI generated um, text and content. It is interesting, isn't it? So they're going from written by people for people and then somebody at Google had to go and say, well, why don't we update that particular wording in whatever, you know, sub thing this was in. Let's update to helpful content created for people, not written by people for people, but helpful content created for people. Because obviously a lot of content is no longer written by people, or at least not only by people. And it's almost like how would even a company as sophisticated as Google be able to figure out what, what was written by an AI? It's just, it's not possible. I mean, if it's grammatically correct, sound and original, like, all right, well, it came out of writer.com and then you posted it. Who knows if it was written just by you or by, by with the use of some AI. Yeah, that's uh, Google's problem. Glad it's not mine. We're just gonna write, continue to write good content use uh, with or without AI uh, that people find interesting. Um, cool, all right, so not sure if we're gonna have another news pod next week, probably not, because we're gonna be super busy at SlaterCon. There's another podcast coming up with a guest uh, soon, so stay tuned, but probably taking a quick break from podcasting next week and then see you in a couple of weeks again. All right, bye-bye.